turning them on and off and activated uh, some blah, blah. say it nicely please a predisposition for boobs no. <laughs> Welcome to Totally Unrelated, a place where history, trivia, media, brain farts, and the occasional venting session. My name is Diana. And I am Irina. And this episode, we continue our discussion of Siddhartha Mukherjee's book, The Gene. Um, Irina, care to provide a brief recap uh, of the last episode? Well, in the first part, we discussed uh, the main outline of the book and the main parts of the book. And um, we went into more detail about the um, IQ and uh, IQ testing, you know, all the discussion about intelligence and um, whether uh, it's heritable and inheritable. And uh, we discussed also a little bit about um, racial genetics and the fact that um, um, the way that uh, race is uh, defined nowadays, especially based on uh, how people self-identify, is not a very scientifically useful um, way of uh, using this term. And uh, it's definitely not useful for deciding if um, those people have certain intelligence characteristics, let's say. So that was pretty much it. So uh, let's uh, let's move on. Let's continue this uh, quite fascinating book. Okay. So I mean, um, Siddhartha Mukherjee definitely is not afraid of uh, hard subjects, mm-hmm. because um, one other idea that Mukherjee tackles from the genetics point of view is identity. I mean, a whole mm-hmm. can of worms here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> definitely. So he starts by saying, and I quote, uh, it is hard to dispute three essential facts that males and females are anatomically and physiologically different, that these anatomical and physiological differences are specified by genes, and that these differences interposed against cultural and social constructions of the self have a potent influence on specifying our identities as individuals. Okay, so that's a sort of a science way of saying that it's not really a case of nature versus nurture, but rather that sort of in the beginning there was nature and then you have a hefty layer of uh, social expectations which interacts with nature, right? To create yes, the, the mixture that uh, we come to understand as our identities as men or women or... You know, for those who don't, um, uh, the identities that don't fit us and we reject or try to redefine, right? Yes, the, most definitely. But um, for the um, usefulness of what he's trying then to to discuss, he mostly uh, tries to to separate the steps. Uh, I mean, he tries to to attract attention that it will be a discussion about genotype, that it's uh, one layer, phenotype, that is the next layer, and obviously the cultural influences and uh, all the, the social constructions that are a, a third layer, of course, yeah. So it's it's again a, ca- a case of like onions, layers upon layers, and they all interact to form the onion. Yeah, who, who would have <laughs> saw the onion is, is so important, yeah. <laughs> 
the onion is essential. Uh, totally. Um, after telling the story of how scientists found out about the X and Y chromosome and their importance for sex determinism, Mukherjee points out how small the Y chromosome is. I, I'm just mentioning this fact because I thought it was funny, uh, <laughs> the way he presents the situation of the Y chromosome. Yeah. In, genetic, in genetic terms, uh, this suggests a peculiar paradox. Sex, one of the most complex of human traits, is unlikely to be encoded by multiple genes. Rather, a single gene, buried rather precariously on the Y chromosome, must be the master regulator of maleness. Male readers of the last paragraph should take notice. We barely made it. (laughs) (laughs) So I just thought this was funny. Yeah. So, um, uh, from here, um, Mukherjee talks about the hunt for the gene uh, presented on the Y chromosome that determines the um, uh, male sex characteristics of a person and how it was found uh, as being the SRY gene. Uh, What is uh, the SRY gene, uh, more exactly? (laughs) Well, it it, it sounds really intelligent when you say SRY, but it means sex-determining region on the Y chromosome. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I know. it doesn't actually have a name, so they just shorten it so they can it, talk it's, about it's it. It's basically a description of what it does. Yes, 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 okay. yes, exactly. Um, I think this gene is mostly famous for the condition uh, named Sawyer syndrome. Not that the people know the name Sawyer syndrome, but what it does, mm-hmm. where the SRI gene is mutated and its mutation makes all its carrier females, even if they have an Y chromosome. Mm-hmm. After the presentation of these facts, Mukherjee asked the question, if genes determine sexual anatomy so unilaterally, then how do genes affect gender identity? So to start the conversation of gender and identity, Mukherjee presents some troubling stories from the 70s and the 80s about sexual reassignment, mostly done for children born with ambiguous or underdeveloped genitals. And the the cases of these people and how much they suffered due to this idea that was existed uh, that that existed back then, that uh, you can make somebody identify with a certain gender, like for real, mm. just by applying enough pressure from outside. So it was this idea that nature was everything, mm-hmm. made pretty clear the fact that gender identity was not exclusively the result of social conditioning. You mean? Just by applying pressure from the outside sounds more like nurture to me. Like, yeah, sorry, did I did I did I say nature? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, I was a bit confused. Sorry. Um, so this case reports finally put to rest the assumption, still unshakably uh, prevalent in some circles at the time, that gender identity can be created or programmed entirely, or even substantially, by training, suggestion behavioral enforcement, social performance, or cultural intervention. Isn't it funny to think that just like a couple of decades ago, people thought you could be female or male just by, you know, snapping of fingers. And now people are so... The sheer willpower. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And now people are like, no, the influences of the outside have no bearing. And I'm like, 
why yeah, can't we yeah. just you know it, it, have a normal discussion people are are wonderfully inconsistent consistent with their inconsistency <laughs> so to speak because uh, you know uh, like you said uh, they were they were on the one hand uh, subjecting their children to uh, gender corrective surgeries right because that was the term mm-hmm. yes 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 they corrected nature <laughs> Mm-hmm. the arrogance of the whole gesture so you know they did the corrective surgery and then you know they just relied on the fact that well if we bring the kid up as i don't know a boy or girl, a girl or a boy. and we dress them like that and everyone treats them like that because we have given him or her a uh, gendered name uh, everything will pan out perfectly but as you said the same people well i mean not like on an individual basis necessarily, but it's uh, usually the same. On the whole. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, they also don't see a contradiction in then dismissing people who are either uh, queer, non-binary, trans, uh, trans, transgender, uh, who would say that, well, you know, uh, it's not all about genes and chromosomes when it comes to how you identify, because obviously... Uh, depending on the society and how it uh, shapes you as an individual, you might reject certain labels, you might embrace some of them, you might play around with them. Like, no, no, they, sh- they shout, it's all about biology. Let's let's just check your chromosomes. But <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and, and not even all about biology. Now it's all about genotype. Yeah. Like, we don't even care now about phenotype that, you know... <laughs> Uh, and uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> so it is now clear that genes are vastly more influential than virtually any other force in shaping sex identity and gender identity. Although in limited circumstances, a few attributes of gender can be learned through cultural, social and hormonal reprogramming. And um, how we reconcile this idea of a single genetic switch that dominates one of the most profound dichotomies in uh, human identity with the fact that human gender identity in the real world appears to be on a continuous spectrum. Ah, there you go, trying to justify all 67 genders. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) So, in genetic terms, though, there is no contradiction, Mukherjee says. Uh, He says that master switches and hierarchical organization of genes are perfectly compatible with continuous curves of behavior, identity and physiology and that the SRI gene controls sex determination in an on and off manner. And you turn SRI on and an animal becomes anatomically and physiologically male. Turn it off and the animal becomes anatomically and physiologically female. SRI must act on a dozen of targets. And then he goes on to explain that in order to enable more profound aspects of gender determination and gender identity, SRI must act on a dozen of targets turning them on and off, activating some genes and repressing others, like a relay race that moves a baton from hand to hand. So these genes in turn integrate inputs from the self and from the environment, from hormones, from behavior, from exposures, from social performances, from cultural role playing, uh, and from memory. And this whole thing makes gender. What we call gender then is actually an elaborate genetic and developmental cascade with SRI at the top 
of the uh, hierarchy and the modifiers and integrators and instigators and interpreters below. And this general uh, developmental cascade specifies gender identity. So to turn to an earlier analogy, genes are single lines in a recipe that specifies gender. The SRI gene in the first line of the recipe always. Like start with four cups, <laughs> four cups of flour, you know, yeah. since we were talking about, about food. Um, if you fail to start with flour, you will certainly not bake anything close to a cake. But infinite variation fell out of that first line, like from crusty baguette of the French bakery to the mooncake of Chinatown and other desserts that I'm sure I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, uh, to to put this into uh, biological uh, language, so you first start off with the SRY gene being activated mm -hmm. if you are to yes. eventually end up with someone who would be male. But in mm -hmm. order for them to to identify a whole person, in order for them to be a whole person, <laughs> yeah, you know, because <clears throat> I, I was saying in order for them to be a whole person, not not just a dick, uh, <laughs> you need, to, <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah, you 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 need for for the for the cascade that starts with the, with SRI mm -hmm. to activate a whole ton of things that well, actually. I, I don't think we know all of them. Mm -hmm. And you you end up with everything that a person is and feels about being male and maleness and female and femaleness, let's say, or anything in between. You know, it's it's uh, this is another one of those uh, interesting things that I found when I would talk to people. Again, in a sort of subconscious level, people do grasp some of the some of these things, but when you try to put it in 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 actual terms they will you know if if the language if you use charged language so to speak uh, they mm -hmm. will just go no 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 this is not a thing this is just bogus uh but mm -hmm. if you for instance tell them things like okay so you know how would you define a man in contrast with a woman things like a primary character sexual characteristics secondary sexual characteristics and then you start to sort of ask questions okay but like most men on average are taller than most women on average right but you know a particularly short man he's still a man right mm -hmm. yeah okay so there are men with micro penises mm -hmm. are they still men yeah okay there are men who suffer accidents yeah suffer accidents yeah are they still men yes okay So, for instance, someone who identifies as a woman has everything that you can see with the naked eye, looks like a female, but then perhaps at one point in their life, she discovers that, oh, well, as you said, the Sawyer syndrome was, was mm -hmm. what it was called. Yeah, 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 so they yeah. have a Y chromosome. Are they a man now? You know, so, so so these are things that people, yeah, they, they do acknowledge that it's a bit more complicated. Uh, it's very much a question of how you sort of frame the discussion and that will just make them admit to what they already sort of know anyhow. And or not. What, what I found funny in some of these discussions was that, they, of course, they were agreeing with these instances, but then they, they go on and say like, 
but these are particular uh, circumstances and i always tell them but but we we do talk about a minority of people being on you know um, this uh, spectrum that is uh, maybe in between most people are quite in sync with everything so yeah it is about very particular instances that's what we're talking about and and, and also and also sort of majorities are made up of people who are the minority in other ways like for instance okay so you have the majority of i don't know say straight people uh, who are also made up of individuals who are colorblind who are a minority in other ways you know mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. or yeah. people who are in a given context maybe i don't know they have different disabilities who are also a minority so it's like everyone if you choose a, a a particular context is a minority so just this idea that oh well they are just you know they are extreme cases they are just oddities or everyone is odd everyone is a little bit odd or is a minority or is you know particular in their own way depending on what we're talking about so it's just weird to just say well yeah but we shouldn't talk about this because it's it's just it's 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 the exception yeah (laughs) sure there are there are lots of exceptions just that some of them seem to some people more exceptional than others (laughs) yeah because they're less familiar Yeah, they are less familiar and most of the times they are also, uh, you know, laced with this uh, um, or intermingled with uh, ideas of politics or religion Mm -hmm. or, you know, this kind of of things. Anyway, so Mukherjee explains this complex system, you know, this whole hierarchy uh, very well. Uh, So I will not try to summarize it, but I will read it in its entirety because I thought it was you know, so well said. As I said in the first part, I think the writing of this book is really good. Like he really has a way with words. Mm. So here goes. Genes that govern gender identity are hierarchically organized, starting with SRI on top and then fanning out into thousands of rivulets of information below, which means that Mukherjee says, whether nature predominates or nurture is not absolute but depends quite acutely on the level of organization one chooses to examine. At the top of the cascade, nature works forcefully and unilaterally. Up top, gender is quite simple, just one master gene flicking on and off. At the bottom of the network, in contrast, a purely genetic view fails to perform. It does not provide a particularly sophisticated understanding of gender or its identity. Here, in the um, estuarine plains of crisscrossing information, history, society, and culture collide and intersect with genetics like tides. Some waves cancel each other while others reinforce each other. No force is particularly strong, but their combined effect produces the unique and rippled landscape that we called an individual's identity. Yeah, you, you're right. He has a way with words. Uh, but just to see if I got this, if I understood <laughs> this correctly. So yeah, the SR, uh, SRY gene uh, acts like a switch in binary X- choice yeah. one or zero. But it yes. has to then act upon a whole host of different things to give rise to an individual sense of identity. Like you said, in order to have 
a man, not just a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the cascade he describes that flows from that initial switch uh, refers to variations at which levels more exactly. So well, is it also like... Uh, secondary sexual characteristics? Or? Yes, of, yeah, of course. It's an on and off switch for primary and secondary characteristics. Mm-hmm. But then it flows from there to all levels that honestly I couldn't manage to actually start and retell them here. Mm-hmm. So it it's genuinely it's too intricate. And, um, you know, I, I think if he were to, to write uh, about this, I think he would end up with a whole other book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so basically you start with just one thing, but then that that acts on the next level, you know, like on hormones and hormones, on um, facial characteristics and, you know, <clears throat> how uh, the level of muscle versus the the, lebe- the level of, uh, let's say, uh, blubber, yeah, <laughs> the, f- 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 uh, the level of fat. Uh, then, for example, the level of fat and the level of hormones have later in life uh, determined, let's say, the fact that women have um, a bigger predisposition towards, I don't know, I cannot find the nice way to say, I now you said blubber and now I only come up with boobs instead of, say, say it nicely, please. A predisposition for boobs. <laughs> no, come on, say the... <laughs> I mean, I do have that, but... <laughs> Um, I, I I was trying to say that the fact that uh, us as women have uh, more fat than muscle, and this will always be true, also mm-hmm. has an influence on the diseases we have later in life. Mm-hmm. You know? Like breast like, cancer, uh, like, for instance. Like, like, like breast cancer, exactly. Not boob cancer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there are, there are layers upon layers of, uh, of things that, uh, as he said, interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So... It, it is quite quite silly, actually, to, to try and be like, no, everything has to do with the first on and off switch. But it is also, obviously, as the experiments in the 70s and 80s, it, is, it was not only stupid, but monstrous mm-hmm. to also insist that, well, we will ignore this completely and just put a you know, dress on and then like, there you go, you'll be a little girl now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, not you, obviously. Um, moving on. <laughs> In this chapter, Mukherjee also discusses a point that I think it's, um, it's worth mentioning. And that is um, why sexual reproduction was invented at all. I mean, invented as a way of saying, <laughs> not like anybody sat down and was like, hmm, what are we inventing today? <laughs> That's truly innovative. Uh, yeah. So most evolutionary biologists agree that sex was uh, created to enable rapid genetic reassortment. So no quicker way exists, perhaps, to mix genes from two organisms than by mixing their eggs and sperm. And even the genesis of spermatozoa and egg cells causes genes to shuffle through the gene recombination. So the powerful reassortment of genes during sexual reproduction increases variation, and variation in turn increases an organism's fitness and survival ability. So the phrase sexual reproduction then is the perfect misnomer because the evolutionary purpose of sex is not reproduction. Organisms can make superior facsimiles of reproduction. Uh, superior facsimiles of themselves in the absence of sex 
The sex was invented for quite the opposite reason, to enable recombination. But sexual reproduction and sexual determination are not the same thing. And even if we recognize many advantages of sexual reproduction, we might still ask why most mammals use the XY system for gender determination. Why, in short, the why? You know, why... <laughs> why even uh, men? <laughs> yeah, yeah, why, why, why even men? Um, and apparently the answer is we don't know or, you know, beats me. So I think this frustrates a lot of people that wow. we cannot actually answer that. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, the tour de force of um, all these things uh, really bother some people and would not have been... Um, but not have been completed, you know, this this, this whole idea of, uh, of discussion, things that bother people mm-hmm. without discussion, you know, sexual identity. Of course. Of course. So a lot of work has been put into finding the gay gene. And um, <laughs> alas, the work We've been looking and searching and looking and searching <laughs> behind the cupboard, yeah. behind the pillows. <laughs> In really dark places, yeah. let's say. <laughs> And um, alas, the work did not pan out the way the the scientists, um, like uh, Michael J. Bailey and Dean Hammer, these were the first people that started looking for them, hoped. And um, these people being the the first who looked for the gay gene. And um, I must say um, a funny story about Dean Hammer. A a very ominous name. Yes, yes. And he was (laughs) gay himself. And um, but... Um, he, he did not start looking for the genetic link to sexuality because, uh, you know, his desire to understand himself or something like that. It was because he was incredibly bored uh, with his current at the time research and felt like doing something more adventurous. And apparently, at least sometime, boredom is, you know, more powerful than activism or he, something he, like he that. He was a scientific edgelord. <laughs> <laughs> Not even that. He was he was in in the book. Um, it is described at length that you know he he really wasn't seeing himself as going much further in what he was researching at the time. And he went to some conference and he was like, "Oh, this sounds like a subject. If I start you know researching into this, people will be interested." And this I, will turn you know, heads. Yes, yes, exactly. So anyway, anyway, back to the gay gene, which has not been found. Mm. Uh, the study, the studies so far, especially the ones on twins, clearly suggest that uh, several determinants that influence sexual identity are part of the human genome. And uh, as geneticists discover more powerful methods to map, identify, and categorize genes, they will inevitably find some of these determinants. But unlike gender, sexual identity, even if its determinants are going to be hierarchically organized, is unlikely to be governed by a single master regulator. So it looks unlikely that we will find an SRY gene, but for straightness, you know? (laughs) So the (laughs) the way things look, multiple genes are involved with small effects, with a lot of them modulating and integrating inputs from the environment. Oh, damn it, woman. I mean, people want to know what makes the gays gay so they can put a stop to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, in all seriousness, uh, seriousness, uh, there is, of course, a scientific merit to learning more about this. But 
I think most gay people. I mean, I'm I'm not purporting to be talking in the name of every gay person everywhere, but I think that unless the way being gay uh, has an influence on 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 individuals' uh, life and quality of life, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Many people wouldn't necessarily be that interested. Many gay people wouldn't necessarily be interested in the scientific, purely for the scientific merit of the idea. But you know, it's uh, the sort of uh, topic that is very valuable rhetorically, and it mm-hmm. does get picked up and distorted to invalidate uh, people's uh, gay people's existence. So that you know, there you go. We we have to. We have to, uh, we have to be interested in this. So it's it's pretty much that it has no real bearing on actual lives, except for how the assholes use the notion. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. The book then goes on to show that a lot of what we might think of as profoundly personal choices, and particularly special to just us are um, in, in fact highly linked with our genetic genetic map. And Mukherjee says, if we accept that variation in genes can influence diffuse aspects of human pathology, then we can hardly be astonished that variation in genes can also influence equally diffuse aspects of normalcy. So there is a fundamental symmetry to the idea that the mechanism by which genes cause disease is precisely analogous to the mechanism by which genes cause normal behavior and development, you know? There is, a, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, there is this equivalent in terms of the so, in terms of sociology to this, uh, where I think it was Foucault who <clears throat> sort of highlighted Michel Foucault who highlighted the fact that when you sort of defined what the deviant was, whether you're talking about homosexual, whether you're talking about people with mental illnesses. Uh, that's when you actually did the the legwork in defining what normalcy was as well, because that's mm-hmm. when you need to have very sharply drawn uh, categories uh, that you want to put people in. But uh, what, what, what Mukherjee tries to t- uh, tell here is not necessarily that you define disease in contrast with what you mm-hmm. define as normal. And that that sometimes is just like a label you put on something. But the fact that people very easily accept the idea that when you talk about disease, that genes have this influence on very diffuse aspects. And they don't deny that when you talk about them, uh, you know, about disease. But then when you tell them, well, the same idea that you agree with now when we talk about disease, it's actually the same way it works with normalcy. And that is why we have these, you know, things that are very complex. And you cannot, when it's about normalcy, it's like, no, it's straightforward, it's A and B. No. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know? maybe uh, do you think it, this has something to do with the fact that, uh, well, not all cultures, but certainly in Europe and probably in the Northern Hemisphere, a lot of cultures still have this idea of the separation between the material, the bodily, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, the... I don't know, the mental, the spiritual, the whatever you want to call it, the soul. Mm-hmm. And of course, the language is less religiously charged now. But uh, the, the, the core concept is probably still lingering that uh, we, we don't, we 
find it harder to accept that things that are a bit more immaterial than, as you said, you know, you can pinpoint to a disease, you can describe it quite Mm -hmm. clearly and precisely, and you can trace its origins and the way it moves through the body. Uh, But it's a bit more difficult with something like, I don't know, identity or... Mm-hmm. Or sexual yeah. orientation, as yeah. we were talking yeah. about. Yeah, abs- ab- Although that moves absolutely. through the body as well. <laughs> In different ways. <laughs> yes, I mean... Um, it- if only we think in how many movies and books and, you know, we, we, we find this uh, discussion and story about discovering your true self. Mm-hmm. That, that is definitely an, an idea that, that makes uh, uh, in the heads of many people, even if they don't necessarily think about it, they have this impression that there is a you that is somewhere in, inside the flesh. Mm-hmm. And somehow, um, you you know, you have to like search for it and then the whole of you will be there for somehow also you to access it. Like, and yeah. like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> you are the whole thing together with your body and your everyday experiences and with everything that happens to you every day and your inner you or whatever true you, it will be one today and... It, it will change according to everything that happened to you over 10 years or, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's a lot harder to accept. It is, it is. It is because it, it, it's like every, every part is a moving part. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's so uh, unsettling, I think, for, for a lot of people to just yes, think that there yes. is no fixed point in their life, not, not just in their life, but in their very being that they can point to and say that's 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 my rock yes and also because this idea of that's who i am or you know that's my the thing i made for that's you know my whatever true thing uh, is in in their mind somehow is uh, it that is very uh, closely related to the idea that if you reach that if you find that then you'll be happy and then Mm -hmm. everything will be well you Mm -hmm. know and and if that does not exist, it means that it's like this perpetual thing of becoming and becoming. Maybe the thing that is not necessarily the most useful for you, but but fundamentally the 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 the, the conclusion is that we are lazy because this is why it's so scary to think that you yes. cannot just have the one thing that you can find and then the work and is then done. Move everything, yeah, yeah. The, the work is done. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we we do the same with politics as well, right? Because we we Mm -hmm. choose, we pick a side and we say, uh, you know, this is the right way to do things. Uh, Although, you know, history and experience shows us again and again that however good things look on paper and they might work for a time as you Mm -hmm. uh, anticipated, things evolve Mm -hmm. and People will look for loopholes, or even if they don't, then you will have changing circumstances, and then something that you expected to produce certain results will start producing different results. And Absolutely. you know, this is how it, you know entropy <laughs> things slowly <laughs> fall apart, one way or another. Uh, and uh, the 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 best answer, I I suppose, is to just constantly you know 
check your results, check what you're getting out of your input and then make adjustments. But that implies, mm-hmm. you know, being there, being present, working. It's uh, tiring. Yes. And, and a lot of insecurity also. Yeah. So yeah. moving on with the book, um, <laughs> Mukherjee says that uh, genes can describe the form or fate of a complex organism in likelihoods and probabilities but they cannot accurately describe the form or fate itself. Again, a way of, I, I think, very nicely expressing things. Mm-hmm. So a, a particular combination of genes, a genotype, uh, might predispose you to a particular configuration, let's say, of a nose or of a personality. But the precise shape or length of the nose that you acquire remains unknowable. <laughs> so a, a predisposition cannot be confused with the disposition itself. One is a statistical probability and the other is a concrete reality. So what transforms this predisposition in reality? A great many studies performed over many decades ended up with the same result. And uh, I, I quote again, unsystematic idiosyncratic serendipitous events. So illness, accidents, traumas, triggers, a mistrain, a lost key, a suspended thought, fluctuations in molecules that cause fluctuations in genes resulting in slight alteration in forms. I really like this one. So one one of the the play on words in in this book goes like this. Being happened through being. This is very Heidegger-like language. Being by being by being. By be- <laughs> but you, 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 it, it's one of those things that it's uh, uh, most definitely looks better written than said out loud. But mm-hmm. I, I, I thought it was... So, you know, very descriptive. <laughs> yeah, the process of being, the process of existing. existing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So genes, genes must carry out programmed responses to environments. Otherwise, there would be, you know, no concert form. Mm-hmm. But they must also leave exactly enough room for the vagaries of chance to stick. And, uh, you know, in uh, popular culture, we, we call this intersection fate. Mm-hmm. And uh, we call our responses to it choice. Mm-hmm. And um, an upright organism with opposable thumbs is thus built from a script, but also built to go off script. So we call one such unique variant of one such organism a self. <laughs> Just dawned on me that there might be more merit than I thought to the expression my friend X, who happens to be gay. Well, yeah, well, definitely. I mean, if we if we know that, you know, happens to be woman is... Um, a lot more, you know, de- decided from the beginning happens to be gay, <laughs> apparently, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, from here, Mukherjee goes on to discuss epigenetics and um, our ever-expanding knowledge about how to manipulate our own genome and uh, what I said at the beginning of gene therapy and all of that. And um, I think that um, this would be... A nice way of ending the, mm-hmm. the the running around in this book without you know exhausting ourselves in this marathon, because um, there are a lot of other things that are a lot more science orientated in this book, and um, I genuinely hope that a lot of people will read it because it is endlessly fascinating, 
And um, I mean, you know, what human is not endlessly fascinated with him or herself, you know? (laughs) (laughs) This is why personality tests and quizzes are so popular. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Like, I I have to admit taking a few of those myself through the years. (laughs) Of course, of course. Even, (laughs) even, Even when you do it ironically like oh yeah sure this is stupid but like <laughs> i mean i let's take i mean i i took some of them like quite serious like at uh, at, at some of my uh, workplaces where i was uh, mm-hmm. you know i i had to take a psychological test and but i was like really um, interested in finding the result and when mm. the um, the the person who was interpreting the test asked me, like, would you like to me to tell you more? And I was like, yes, sure. <laughs> and, uh, you know, from like genuinely somewhat professional and serious things to, uh, you know, silly things that pop up, pop up on the Internet that some of them are really like, which Harry Potter character are you most likely to be? <laughs> oh, but I, 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 I don't know. I, I've, I've had, uh, I think once or twice had to take like sort of, I, I don't know if it would be called a psychological test or a personality test or whatever for a job. And besides the fact that I was kind of off put by the fact that I had to, given the, given that it was a for sale sales position, salesperson position in a bakery like what the fuck <laughs> it's weird but <laughs> da. Da. <laughs> yeah so besides that it was just in in the context of your employ, employer giving you a psych test it just seems really weird because it's it's almost like the books that tell you how to give a successful interview where you're supposed to say a certain thing that will be interpreted you know like you're supposed to say this because you know this is how they will interpret it mm-hmm. and it just seems so weird uh and and also this particular test i told you with the bakery uh, they had a question i remember this vividly because i was would, like would you would you ever put poison in no, the no no i mean that <laughs> That would have been, a, you know, a, a commonsensical sort of thing to do, although no no one who is crazy like that would actually say, yes, I would. <laughs> but, you know, that would have had some merit of maybe seeing if the person has, I don't know, some <laughs> some problems. But there was this question, if one of your co-workers or several of your co-workers does something Uh, that goes against the rules uh will you a tell management b talk to them or c just pretend you didn't see it and like okay yeah this is this this is is such a loaded question and it's basically are you going to be a snitch (laughs) for management are you are you just going to you know non-combat don't interfere are you going to be a rubble rouser with the other workers you know Mm -hmm. it's just oh it really struck me the wrong way so i was like i was kind of happy when they said oh you failed the test like oh well great (laughs) da 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 I mean, um, it 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 is. I said die instead of yes. Anyway, uh, it's fine. I, it, it, <laughs> you know, I think I think if we ever have uh, listeners who aren't just our friends, uh, they will probably get to learn a few Romanian words anyhow by you know <laughs> as, as, as they listen. So yeah, I think 
those those sorts of of questions i i think not only are they really loaded because you can they can be interpreted you know in a bad way um either or you know mm. but i i think in 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 real life it really matters what we're talking about because this sort of if you see something like okay if i if i saw that one time my colleague did not wash their hands when they left from the toilet yes i will <laughs> not go to management you know <laughs> i i would be like you know you work in a bakery maybe wash your hands <laughs> <laughs> if 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 then I, I thought that, I don't know, somebody poured poison in the mold, I would totally go to management <laughs> screaming, you know, but uh, I, I think it's very... But then you find mm. out it was management who planned this all along. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why I hate, uh, I hate uh, thought experiments that are not, uh, you know, genuinely anchored in... In, in reality because you can yeah. you can go in either direction just as easily with uh, yeah. with justification and with examples and with you know not a yeah. fan of the trolley trolley experiment trolley experiment no i am not <laughs> and, and and after after i read a whole freaking book because of one of our friends that was basically <laughs> trolleyology on wheels. <laughs> I hate it even more now. So. Maybe, maybe you'll do a review for another episode of that book <laughs> if you're not still angry about it. Well, we could we could put it because it's quite a new book. We we can put it in an episode where we where we talk about all the books I hated last year. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that, that's definitely a must. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think we should wrap wrap up this okay. um, free, this this freestyling of ours. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, after uh, I, I'll try to wrap it up in a less awkward way than uh, the than last episode where we were like, okay, so that's it. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, <laughs> bye. So see you. Uh, bye. <laughs> okay. So, fa- thanks be, for uh, be better. Anyone. Be better now. Yeah. <laughs> be best. Be best. Uh, thanks for anyone who might be listening. <laughs> and see you. Well, see you. Hear you. Listen. Be there for the next episode, I guess. <laughs> Bye. So, 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 so I'm saying this was not much better. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Just say bye. 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 Let's wrap bye. this up. Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye.